Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. To give you a little bit of context of what is going on, the man speaking, or not the man, but the angel that is speaking here is the angel Gabriel in verse number 13. He's speaking to Zacharias. Zacharias is a priest, and he is performing one of the duties there in the temple. He went into the temple to perform his duty, and while he was there, he saw an angel that was standing there. The angel's name, of course, was Gabriel, and he had a message for Zacharias, and we just read that message that his wife Elizabeth would bear a son and that they would call his name John. And I thought verse number 14 was a significant one for us because it says, And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. This morning, as we think about mothers on Mother's Day, really Mother's Day is a day of rejoicing. We rejoice with mothers and all that they do, especially godly mothers who rejoice and bring rejoicing to others. What a blessed combination of both having joy and spreading it to others also. I love that verse once again. Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. And I want to see three traits of this godly mother, his name was Elizabeth, that led to or brought rejoicing. First of all, we see that her personal life brought rejoicing. Her personal life brought rejoicing. Imagine the joy at the birth of who we know to be John the Baptist. If you go down to verse number 58, it says, And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. So John the Baptist, John has now been born, and the neighbors and the relatives and people that know her and the family, they come, they hear, they rejoice, and they are glad with her. A family that had no children for many, many years and thought that they were beyond the chance of having children now has a wonderful baby boy. And there is much joy at the birth of any new life. It's exciting. We're happy. You see the mothers and the fathers and the family members, and now you get to see them post pictures on social media. You see all the happy faces and the smiles. You know, it's a a joyful occasion whenever a child is born. And when we think about mothers, when we use that word, mothers, we are emphasizing that relationship, right? When we say a mother, we're emphasizing the mother with the child. There's that relationship that is there. And so, of course, we we think about that, but we are focusing in on godly mothers. And the trait of godly mothers is that godly mothers don't become godly when the baby is born. They were godly long before that. They were godly early on. And here with Elizabeth, we see her godliness before her motherhood. We see that she lived righteously. She had a godly life, a personal life that was before God, before children, and after children as well. Because a godly mother is first godly and then a mother. When we think about mothers, we think about all that they do for the children after they are born. You know, you think about 
the late nights and waking up all through the night, the feeding of the baby, the changing of the baby, you know, the comforting and holding of the baby, waking up all through the night, watchful care over the baby every single day, every single hour, teaching the baby, helping them to grow and to learn. But really, godly mothers do a lot for their children even before their children are born. And we see that Elizabeth was a godly mother, but before she could be a godly mother, she was first a godly woman. And her personal life as a godly woman was demonstrated in her faith in God. If you look at verse number six, chapter number one, Luke chapter one, verse number six, it says, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. The Bible says that both Zacharias and Elizabeth were righteous before God. So when we think about Elizabeth, this godly mother, we see and think about, well, she was godly because we know that she was righteous. But we have to make it clear that Elizabeth was not godly because she tried harder than all of the other moms that were out there. She was righteous because she received that righteousness from God. No one is righteous of themselves. Romans chapter 3 verse number 10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. I, the book of Romans, the Bible makes it very clear that righteousness is not from myself. You are not righteous because you tried so hard. We're glad that you're here uh, in the church services this morning. But coming to the church services doesn't automatically make you righteous. It doesn't make you a, a, a person that is cleansed from your sins. Elizabeth was a sinner just like you and me. But the Bible says that she was righteous, not because she trusted in herself, but because she trusted in God. Romans chapter 3, verse number 22 says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. If you will be made righteous, you must put your trust in Jesus Christ. You must confess your sins. And you must confess that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried, but three days later, he rose again from the dead, giving hope of eternal life. And if you will be righteous today, you must put your trust in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? And that is what we are here doing today. We are here as a church body. We are holding services together to point people to the Lord. Because none of us is righteous in our works. We can only be righteous in the Lord. And so we see that she was a godly woman because she trusted in God. She put her faith in the Lord, but also because her focus was on God. I love how it says, and they were both righteous before God. Anyone can look good before people, right? We can put on a show, put on a facade, put on a smiling face, and we can look good in front of other people, but being righteous is not just about looking good to others, it's about God who sees the inward and sees what others cannot see. And so we need to understand that if we will be righteous, our focus must not be on the people around us, 
It must be on the Lord. I think when you take a look at the life of Elizabeth, we know very little about her because she's only mentioned here in chapter number one. And a, a, a portion of this chapter is actually focused also on Mary. So we don't have a lot of information about Elizabeth. But one thing that I think we could say for sure is that she had a focus on the Lord. She thought about the Lord. She lived for the Lord. She wanted to serve God. She wanted to worship God. So she had a focus on God. Her righteousness was before the Lord. And we see that demonstrated in her following after God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Now, if you were to read this verse, you might perhaps be mistaken in thinking that Elizabeth was righteous because she followed all the commands of God. But of course, as we saw before, nobody can keep all the commands of God. Amen? We are all falling short. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. So what does this mean? It means that they put their trust in God. They were righteous before God. And being made righteous, they were able to walk in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. We do not obey God's commands to become righteous. We obey God's commands because we are righteous. There's a big difference there. We do not obey the commands of God in order to be made right before God because nobody can keep all the commands of God. But if we have been made right with God and we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, he empowers us to be able to obey the commands of God. Amen? All right, that is Christian living. Joshua chapter one, verse number eight. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So being made righteous, having put their trust in God, they were walking in all the commands of the Lord. And we see all of this happening before she had children. She was living in the Lord. She was walking in the Lord. This morning, we have some teenagers. We have some people of all different ages. And I hope that you don't think, let's say one day you become a parent, you become a mother. I hope that you don't think, well, I'll worry about those things when I get there. We see that Elizabeth, she walked in the ways of the Lord from an early age. Her personal life brought joy. We also see that her patient, long-suffering brought rejoicing. One thing that we know about this godly mother was that she was patient. We might use the word faithful. She was faithful over many years. She put her trust in God at the beginning, but also she continued to trust God over the years. Because one thing that we know is that Elizabeth was older when she had this child. If you read in verse number seven, the Bible says, and they had no children. In verse number six, we see that they were righteous. They put their trust in God. They were obeying the commands of God. And immediately after that, it says, and they had no children because that Elizabeth was barren and they both were now well stricken in years. And I think that says a lot about Elizabeth in showing that she was faithfully patient despite the results. Despite the fact that she had no children, desiring to have children, she wanted children, her husband wanted children. If you, if you read the conversation that uh, Zechariah has with Gabriel, Gabriel says, thy prayer is heard. You've been praying for a child. Well, now your prayer is answered. You will now have a child. They were praying for children. They desired to have children. But year 
After year after year, there was no children. They, they were not able to have children. And this was well stricken in years beyond the years where they said, you know what, we're just not going to be able to have children. Zechariah had given up on having any children. They were like, well, we're going to live and not have any children. No baby boys or, or baby girls. We're not going to have anybody. They had kind of resigned themselves. They had lived year after year after year. And yet we see that they were still faithful. They were still loving God and serving the Lord. I love that Elizabeth, she didn't get bitter. She didn't say, God, I've been serving you all of these years. I've been doing what you asked me to do. I put my trust in you and I, I'm serving you. And, and how come I'm not having any children? I, I want to have children. I, I'm desiring to have children. I'm praying to have children. And, and how come all of these other people, they get to have children? And, and I know these, uh, these people, they're not living uh, for you like I'm living for you. They're not loving you and serving you like we are. And, and how come we don't have any children? And uh, she, she didn't have any of those attitudes or those thoughts or, you know, that kind of a life. What a wonderful trait we see in Elizabeth that she did not grow in bitterness. She was faithful despite the results. Her faithfulness was not about, well, if you do this for me, God, then I will do this for you. She continued to trust and follow God. Now, we know the principles of the Bible that God blesses his people. Amen? All right, we teach that, we preach that, we encourage you, and the, the Bible encourages you in that way, but that doesn't always mean that we always get what we want, when we want it, or how we want it. And her faithfulness surely was tested when she didn't get what she wanted. Still, she lived faithfully year after year. And it was that faithful patience that was rewarded. This wonderful woman who was Elizabeth was not someone who was faithful just in the early years when she was full of hope. I'm sure that when Zechariah and Elizabeth, they, you know, got married, whenever they got married, they got married, I'm sure at a younger age. And so they got married and they're full of hope. Year after year, no children. You can imagine after the first year, well, you know, trying to have children, no children, it's okay, we're still young, you know, they encourage each other, we're still young. After a couple more years, well, no children, but still, let's pray to God. After 10 years, they're like, hmm, some, something's not right here, you know. After 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, no children. Zacharias, we know, had given up on having children because in verse number 18, when he's told, your prayer is heard, you will have a child. He responds, whereby shall I know this? How do I know that you're telling me the truth? There's an angel standing there. He says, how do I know you're telling me the truth? For I'm an old man and my wife, well stricken in years. He's saying, angel, Gabriel, how do I know you're telling the truth? I'm old. My wife is old. <laughs> we can't have children anymore. Well, the angel responds in verse 20, Behold, thou shalt be dumb. You won't be able to speak and not be able to speak until the day that those things shall be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. I love the wording there, in their season. Sometimes we don't know which season it will be but God will reward in the right season. Zechariah, though, had come to the point where he was thinking, you know what? It's too late for us to have any children. But still, he was faithful. Still, he served God. Still, Elizabeth, 
served the Lord. In verse number 24, it actually goes even beyond that, that she was faithful despite the reproach. In verse 24, and after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days whereon he, or wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. The society that we live in is more and more becoming very different from the society that Elizabeth lived in. And uh, many people have different thoughts and views and opinions, but certainly in the days of Elizabeth, it was a reproach not to have children. The people then would have thought, you know, they've been married for a number of years. You know, it's been three years now. It's been five years. And, you, you know, they don't have any children. And they would have begun to talk. People would have been to think. People would have been to, you know, gossip. And, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe they, look really, they look really righteous. They look really godly. But maybe there's some sin deep down and God's, God's withholding children from them. They would have began to talk. They would have been to say some things. And, and it would have been a reproach. People would have treated her differently. You can imagine the relatives, the in-laws, you know, her side and his side. Both say, hey, when are you going to have children? You know, where are the children? I want grandchildren, you know. And, and all of the words that would have come their way. And, and you can imagine all of the things that, that people would have said and thought about her and about them. And despite all of that reproach, they were faithful to the Lord. Despite what others were saying about her, she did not develop a, a bitter spirit or abandon the Lord. She was patient. When she was young, she served God. When she was older, she served God. Before she had children, she served God. After she had children, she served God. I believe that it was that faithfulness, a big part of that, which brought joy. Her personal life brought joy. She lived for God. She trusted in the Lord. She served the Lord out of that faith. She was patient in serving the Lord. But also we see her positive leadership brought rejoicing. We see that her leadership in the home brought rejoicing. So John is born... And uh, there's a situation that to me seems quite unusual because it comes from a different culture. And what happened would not seem normal, I think, to you or to me. So this baby is born, and the custom is they bring the, the baby to the temple. They're going to circumcise him, and the people begin to call him Zecharias. They don't ask the name of the child. They just start calling him Zecharias. In verse number 59, it says, And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. So can you imagine? Elizabeth and, and Zacharias, they come to the temple. They're here with their baby boy, who we know to be John, but they don't know the baby's name yet. So they come, and they bring the baby, and usually when you see, you know, a little baby one of the first questions is, what is his name, right? What's his name? James or John or whatever the case might be. What's his name? These people did not ask the name. They just started calling him Zacharias. Oh, look at little Zacharias. And Elizabeth is like, Zacharias? His name's not Zacharias. His name is John. But the culture was that sometimes a crowd would come and they would name the child 
and that would become his name. Now, that seems a little unusual, but that was culturally things that happened. If you look in the Bible, in the book of Ruth, the Bible there says, and the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, there is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed, who is the father of Jesse, the father of David. So the grandfather of David, his name was Obed. Obed was not named by his parents. He was named by the people around. Now, that would seem very unusual because you might think, well, I don't like the name, <laughs> you know? I don't like Obed. What does that mean? I don't like, you know? But they didn't, you know, culturally, that is what happened. And in those days, and still even today, names are often chosen as descriptive, you know, something that is significant, something about them or something that they hope for them. The name Esau and the name Jacob both have significance in their names of being red and hairy and Jacob, who is one who grabs the heel. They, they were named because of their traits at, when they were born. Uh, name, uh, the name such as Samuel means asked for. We've taken a look at Hannah and Samuel before. Hannah had prayed because she had no children. She prayed and she received this baby boy and she named her child Samuel, meaning I have received this child because I asked of the Lord and God gave me this child. Other names such as Elijah mean things like Yahweh is God, reflecting the parents' faith. So here is something that is quite significant to the culture. You would name the child based on some uh, a particular reason. This was their cultural custom. Now, it might seem unusual to you and to me, but there's nothing necessarily wrong about this custom. It just is what it is. But Elizabeth actually steps in immediately and corrects them. It would have been acceptable and normal culturally to if a crowd came and they just said, oh, this is going to be the, the baby's name. You might go with that name. But in this moment, we see Elizabeth demonstrating some leadership within the home. The Bible says in verse number 60, and his mother answered and said, not so, but he shall be called John. We see Elizabeth leading by defying the crowd. Everybody else around is saying, Let's name the baby Zacharias. But Elizabeth says, no, not so. No way. But he shall be called John. Now, this is a good place to stop, I think, because the world around us has no problem trying to get involved with the children of godly mothers. Right? The world doesn't care whether a child has a godly mother or not. The world wants to impose some things on that child and every other child. The culture has no problem presuming things about the child and pushing things on to the child and the mother and pushing aside the values and the teachings of the mother. Now, maybe our culture would not try to name our children, but they will try everything else. The culture will try to get involved in teaching that little child their ways their priorities. It, they will try to teach their attitudes. Uh, it's okay if you rebel against authority. It's okay if you feel this a certain way and you give in to your feelings. It, it's okay if you believe things contrary to the word of God. It, it's okay if you deny the word of God. It's okay if you do your own thing instead of following God. You can always serve God later. You don't have to always obey the Lord. Just do what feels good to you. 
The, the culture will try to conform the child to the ways of the world. That's why the Bible has to say, be not conformed, right? Be not conformed to this world, but, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so we have this situation. You have this godly mother with her newborn baby, John, and the crowd. She has one opinion. The crowd has another opinion. And the crowd is trying to kind of put that opinion onto the baby. Now, that may not be exactly the way that things play out, but the world will use all sorts of methods in order to try to influence both the child and the mother. The world will use peer pressure from friends and family. Oh, do you still believe that? Oh, you're still going to that church? You still read that Bible? You still follow the Bible? They will try to use some peer pressure. They will try to leverage some authority into forcing Christians to uh, conform to their ways. They'll use the authority like the government. They'll use authority like they might have as a, as a boss in the workplace. They might have some authority in some different places. The world will use entertainment and try to sneak around the parent and get through the internet directly to the child. And, you know, through Netflix and YouTube and TikTok, Instagram, movies and music and all of that that's on there. They will try to use all of that to impose some things onto the child. The culture around us will see a child and want to decide for the child what they want to do with that child. You can see the culture today that sees every avenue as an opportunity to influence the child into its own ways. In every single kind of public space, you can kind of see it. When you go to the schools, the public schools, you go to the universities, you go to the workplaces, you see it in politics, you see it in government, you see it on the internet, you see it in social media. You see all of these things that, this, that our culture that we live in will try to impose all of these things, but godly mothers have an answer. And this godly mother said, not so. You have something that you want on my child? Not so. The mother answered and said, not so. But he shall be called John. In a way, she's saying, not in my house and not with my children. Okay, Godly mothers, they were willing, she was willing to shield this child from what the others wanted around them. Now, just because you say it once doesn't mean that the crowd and culture will give in. Elizabeth said, no. But you know what the crowd said? They didn't say, oh, okay, I'm sorry. You know what they said? Verse 61, they said unto her, there is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. You don't have any relatives named John. Why are you naming him John? And in verse 62, they actually go to the father and they say, Elizabeth, what? That doesn't make any sense. Zacharias, what are you going to say? This godly mother said, not so. But I want to see the reason why this godly mother was able to make such a stand. Because she was devoted to God's command. 
right? Again, to go back at least to this example, there is nothing sinful, there's nothing wrong about a culture naming a child based on the parents or grandparents. It might seem unusual to you and to me, but it's not necessarily wrong, right? It would seem unusual, like if we had, you know, one of our church members here give birth and they brought their baby, it would seem a little weird if we said, all right, let's take a poll on what we should name you know, this mother's child. We would, we would think that's very unusual, but that's, that's kind of along the lines of what they were doing. It seems unusual, but not necessarily wrong per se. But there is a reason why Elizabeth said no. Not just because she didn't like it. I'm sure she loved the name Zechariah. She was married to Zechariah. I'm sure that that would have been a perfectly fine name. But there is a reason why. There's, there's many things in, in, in life and in culture that are, not simple, that are not right or wrong. They simply are, right? And we don't have to be against everything just simply because we're told to be countercultural, right? In this country, we drive on the right side of the road, right? If you go to a country like England, they drive on the left side of the road, right? There's nothing wrong with right or left, so don't go over to England and say, in the name of the Lord, I have been called to be countercultural, and I will drive on the right side of the road even though everybody else is going the opposite direction, all right? Okay, when we say, okay, we are called to be countercultural, it doesn't mean I'm going to see what everybody does around me, and I'm going to do the exact opposite thing that they're doing, right? If we drive on the right side of the road here, you drive on the right side of the road here. You go to another country and they drive on the left side, you drive on the left side of the road. You gotta go with the culture. You gotta go with some of these things. Here in America, being timely is important, right? You have a meeting at one o'clock, you show up at one o'clock. You have a church service at 9.30, you show up at 9.30. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen, all right? This is not the time to be countercultural here, right? Okay. All right. So, you know, in America, you have to be timely, right? You have a meeting, you, you drop off your kids at school, you're, you're supposed to take a phone call, all of these things. You know, you're supposed to be timely. If we say one o'clock, it's one o'clock. If it's six o'clock, it's six o'clock. Other cultures, though, to be timely is to be rude, right? They say, oh, we're going to have something at nine o'clock. If you show up at nine o'clock, the host will be upset with you. <laughs> Why are you here at nine o'clock? Well, you told me nine o'clock. You're not supposed to show up at nine o'clock. You're too early, right? The culture there is, well, if somebody invites you over and for dinner at six o'clock or something, or, or you know, some event, if you show up then, it's, it's considered rude because you have not given the host enough time to prepare, okay? That's their culture, all right? Here in America, we would say, you had your time to prepare, you should be done by six, <laughs> right? In other cultures, you know, you, they, they might have an event, like some of these cultures, they have, you know, weddings that are, you know, all-day events, you know? And so, you know, they would say, all right, we're going to start at 10 o'clock or whatever. The host doesn't even show up at 10 o'clock, you know? They show up at 10.30 or 11 o'clock. You're supposed to show up at 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock. You know, there's, there's a culture that is there that, well, we might think it's a little odd or unusual, or at least I think it's a little odd or unusual. Well, you told me 6 o'clock. Couldn't I be there at 6 o'clock? Why would you say 6 o'clock if I can't be there at 6 o'clock? That doesn't make sense to me. But to them, it makes perfect sense. There's nothing necessarily wrong with some of these things. So we have to understand... Okay, why did Elizabeth say no? Is it because she just didn't like it? That was not her preference? Is it because of some other reason? 
The reason why Elizabeth said not so was because God said not so. There's nothing wrong with the name Zechariah, but God said the baby's name would not be Zechariah. He said it would be John. So God had given a command that said the baby will be named John. The crowd around Elizabeth, though, said the baby should be named Zechariah. Now there is a conflict here, and you've got to decide which way to go. Obviously, this godly mother said no to the crowd and yes to the Lord. That's what we mean by leadership. When we say that Elizabeth was a leader, we don't mean that she was just being random or just preferring things in her own way. She saw what the crowd was doing. She saw what God had said and decided, I will follow God, even if that means I have to say no to the culture or world around. So that was the situation that Elizabeth found her in, and she decided to go with God. Now, it is wonderful when the world's culture or the culture of the, the, the community or the country that we live in aligns with the commands of God. That's fine, and that's wonderful, right? We would, we would pray for that, right? That we want the culture around us to conform to the word of God, right? That's our prayer. That is our calling as believers. If you're saved here today, it is part of your calling to be the light, to be the salt, not to be conformed to the world, but to have an influence on those around you so that they might trust in God, that they might obey God, and as a sum total, that the culture around us would conform to the word of God. And that is what happened here, at least in terms of this child not being named Zechariah and instead being named John. This godly mother was godly because in that moment of conflict, she decided to go with God. God's commands were more important to her than the culture around her. God's commands were more important to her than what other people wanted. God's commands were more important to her than even what she wanted. Why the name John? Because God said so. And she, she saw in John what John would become because God said, this is what your child will be. She wanted John also to follow God and not the crowd because of God's perspective. If you go to verse number 14, the Bible there says, and thou shalt have joy and gladness and many shall rejoice at his birth. Okay, we're talking about rejoicing with godly mothers. Why would people around rejoice at the birth of John? For because he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. I think this is so significant. If you want to bring the joy of the Lord to those around you, we must see things from the perspective of God. He was great in the sight of the Lord. Neither shall drink wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. So we see that the perspective of God mattered, but also we see that God's power mattered in verse number 17. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias. He will go in the spirit and power of Elijah, because he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Elizabeth wanted John to follow God because of God's perspective of what does it mean to be great? Well, of course, it depends on what God sees. 
We, he wanted, or she wanted John to follow God because she wanted him to have the power of God. But also she wanted John to follow God because of God's purpose. Verse number 16, and many of the children of Israel shall return to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. We see that John was going to turn the culture around him. And I don't know about you, but I think our culture needs to be turned to the Lord. And I think that the culture that we live in has many areas that needs to fall in line with the word of God. And if we are going to see that, we are going to need to have some people like Elizabeth, this godly mother who said, you know what, when there is a conflict, I will decide to go with God and say not so to the crowd around her. And you'll notice that what the result of this was, John the Baptist would turn the nation of Israel to the Lord. That's what it says. Many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. In verse number 17, it says that he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And it says he, he will turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. We, we live in a culture that needs to turn to the Lord. We, we live in a culture in which people need to turn towards their children. We live in a culture that needs to be turned towards wisdom. How is that going to be accomplished? In that culture, it was through John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was raised by this woman who decided, we're going to follow God. And you, you see how Elizabeth's example of I don't really care what the crowd says if God says something else. When you see the life of John the Baptist later, you could see that John the Baptist's character and nature was one of, I know, I see what you all are doing, but I don't really care because God has given to me a calling. God has given to me a command. God has given to me a purpose, and I must follow that purpose. And I think he learned a lot of that from his mother. He saw that example of Elizabeth. Elizabeth also, I believe, led by disregarding the credit. I believe that it is significant that we know that John the Baptist, of course, had a godly mother. But I think it is also significant that after chapter number one, really starting in verse number 60, we do not hear about Elizabeth again. There's no record of what happened after chapter number one. I'm sure that Elizabeth did a lot. She must have done a lot. She worked hard. She served God. She was faithful. I'm sure she taught John the Baptist a lot. But we don't hear about Elizabeth again. She doesn't get the kind of credit that she deserves. Do you hear what I'm saying? She doesn't get the credit. We know a lot about John the Baptist. We know a lot about these men, Peter, James, and John. We know a lot about, you know, all of these individuals in the Bible. But what about Elizabeth? We know just a little bit about Elizabeth really leading up to the birth of John, but not much after that. And she doesn't get the credit that I believe that she deserves. It's been said, you can achieve great things if you don't care who gets the credit. And certainly Elizabeth didn't get the credit but it wasn't about getting the credit for her, was it? She didn't really care about the credit. You know what she wanted? She wanted to follow God. She wanted to serve God. 
She wanted John to grow up and to serve God and to love God and to follow God. And all of these things did happen, of course, by the power of God through, in large part, this godly mother who decided to lead in her family. And we see that the result of all of this was great joy for Elizabeth, great joy for the family, but also great joy for the nation to come. 